0: This week on the Dragzine Podcast, PDRA Extreme Pro Stock Racer, Johnny Pacino joins us to talk about his hot streak run in the NHRA as well as the PDRA, along with what it takes to run a mountain motor pro stock car. So pull those belts tight, get ready to put into the beams. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Dragazine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate at Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Johnny Patino joins us. Kind of get to get his animated take on all things pro stock racing, you know, what it's like to really drive one of these cars, because you definitely don't want to just set on autopilot, that's for sure. So we uh, we get to hear his take on that and a whole lot of other stuff. So without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Drag podcast is a man who has been absolutely en fuego behind the wheel of a big motor pro stocker recently, Johnny Pacino. What's going on, Johnny?
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the intro.
0: Oh, no problem, man. You, uh, you definitely this year have uh, made a a big name for yourself. I think in the, in the pro stock mountain motor pro stock world for sure. And you know, it, it's one of those deals. I think, kind of looking at the high, that looking at this from a high level, is that you know, like any sport, you got to start with a solid foundation. And I think you're another prime example of uh, kind of how starting out racing young builds to big things. You know, why don't you talk about how you got into racing and what's led up to this point for you?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, my my dad was addicted to racing long before I was I was around. Um, grew up in and he really set the stage for me, and I fell in love with it as, as a little kid. Man, I'm talking about one, two years old. I was at the racetrack, you know. So uh, you don't realize how much you actually soak in it at a young age like that. And um, I just, I've always had a complete fire and passion for racing. Um, it, you know, I, I played some stick and ball sports when I was younger, but at the end of the day, I, I wanted to go racing. That was what I wanted to do. Um, my dad got me a junior dragster when I was when I was young and I started young and, you know, I was there warming up the car with him sitting on his lap when I was four or five years old. I was junior dresser racing until I was 17 years old and kind of started from there. And, and, and it's just, it slowly evolved over time. It's been, uh, it's been building blocks, you know, and to get to this point and um, pro stock was always my goal, you know, mountain motor pro stock became my goal, uh, but I was always a huge pro stock fan. I'm always uh, been a door car fan. Um, so. I always wanted to get to the point I'm at now. Did I ever know I would? No, but hey, you got to set your goals somewhere, and here we are.
0: To back up a little bit, you ran Outlaw 632 for quite a while and did very, very well with that and had kind of an interesting combination with the car as well. How did you guys end up, you know, Outlaw 632 racing? Because, you know, a lot of people out West never really heard of it. It's definitely an East Coast thing, you know. How did you guys get into that whole deal?
1: Yeah, so Outlaw 632 uh, kind of evolved because um, my dad had sold his, one of his ex-pro stock cars to a good friend of ours, and um, he ended up putting a 632-inch motor in the car just just to kind of put a car together, just something to have and make some laughs with here and there. Uh, he wasn't racing it or driving it, and he, he decided he wanted me to drive it, and I went and got my license. I was probably 20, 21 years old. I went and got my li- my pro stock license in that car. and uh, it was just put together. It was put together as like a mini pro stock car, but it wasn't It wasn't built for anything, any particular class to go out and heads up race or be competitive in. Um, so it was a 2002 Cougar with a 632-inch motor in it that was previously run on nitrous, but we took the nitrous off. And I uh, went out and got my license. It was a 450 car, 460 car when I started running it. And that was the first big car I ever ran. So started running that. I ran it some local... 450 index races in the beginning uh and i actually you know ran at a couple top sportsman races you know leaving off the bottom ball with a clutch and a five speed um and what happened was i actually found the rules to this outlaw 632 class down in florida so what we said was hey let's go down there we actually fit in it it was really a nitrous class that naturally aspirated guys were not running but they did have a weight deduction for naturally aspirated cars and we were running relatively close to where those, those guys were running, and uh, we didn't really have the car set up to try and be as efficient as possible when we were just making laps with it because I was just trying to get comfortable. Got my license, got to make some runs, build a foundation. So from there, we went down to Florida, and we went to the first race, and guys were kind of looking at us like, uh, you know, we were crazy. We left our nitrous bottle home, uh, and we're still going to race. But we went out there, and first race, I, I went to the finals at the first race, had a problem in the final and unfortunately wasn't able to win it, but we were kind of a little bit hooked from there. Like, you know what? We can, we can race pro stock and we can do a little bit of this too. Cause we were racing pro stock with my dad driving. Uh, so it kind of, it kind of snowballed from there. We uh, built more and more competitive stuff. And at one point going into 2018, after we broke that motor, we had to make a decision um, to us and the car owner of what we wanted to do. If we wanted to continue, because we had broke that motor. It, it really wasn't a competitive, competitive engine. So we said, hey, we're either going to build something now that we're going to go out and to be purpose-built to run Outlaw 632 or or we're not. And uh, we elected to do so, got together with John Cosy Racing Engines and built a 632-inch Ford Henny. And, man, we kicked some butt with that.
0: Yeah, and that's what I think is kind of cool with what you did with Outlaw 632 is – predominantly, you know, like you said, it's a nitrous class. I've always enjoyed watching that class run and the sheer variety you see in it. To have you guys kind of go out there w- with an NA combination and do so well, did you guys roll in, the, you know, once you really got into it, did you kind of have a chip on your shoulder about it or was, you know, just kind of business as usual?
1: Yeah, I, I have a chip on my shoulder about it, most things. Uh, we're underdogs in racing, so I always have a chip on my shoulder. I race as uh, an underdog in racing just because we're low-budget guys. Uh, no matter how successful you get, you know, at at times here, still we still race with that attitude. So, um, well, we went out there, and a lot of guys really didn't think we'd be able to run with the nitrous cars. Um, and then PDRA picked it up, and it kind of became a bigger class. And once once a, a national sanctioning body picks up a class, and you always know it's gonna it's gonna make the class rise, right? So it's gonna it's gonna attract. Uh, people to come in, spend a little bit more money, put a little bit bigger programs together, and it's going to elevate the ETS. And 632 did that because we were we were down, you know, not that long ago. 2015, 16 is when i when we started running that class. And if you were going 440 anything, you were a top dog. Now you can't you, you can't even make the show with a 440. So it elevates it very very fast. But um, we looked at the rules and we knew we had a really good engine builder at Kazi and. He knows his Ford Hemis and he put together us he put us together an engine and we knew if we had a certain amount of horsepower um, that he was able to get us and he felt he would, that we'd be able to go out there and we'd give these nitrous guys hell and uh they they found out real quick we could.
0: Yeah, I mean you guys had some great battles with some of the big names in that class. And I've always like I said, I was an Outlaw six thirty two fan from the start and just seeing how that class played out when you won your back to back titles, that was that was pretty badass to watch you guys kind of battle it out with everybody and really made it, you know, made it really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. So we came into the class and I don't know, Ken Cortuccio and Dylan Voss, they were two of the bigger names in the class. Um you know, Ken kinda halfway through seventeen, a little bit into eighteen ran it and kind of faded away from there. Kinda hasn't ran the car too much. Uh but in two thousand and eighteen we had a we had a championship battle all year long with, with Dylan Voss. Um and that was a tough deal, and we we, we got the better of them that year. Uh, and then in 2019, it was really tough all year long uh, with Wes Stefano. He put a, a purpose-built, uh, Pat Musi-powered nitrous, unlimited nitrous program together that was really not seen in that class yet. Most people that ran that heavyweight unlimited combo came out with maybe a back half car or uh, a radial car that was a steel-body car, and and they... They ran unlimited, but he put together kind of like a mini pro nitrous unlimited combo and he was fast. So it was a tough, uh, it was a tough, tough years, a lot of battling. You know, when, when you take an NA car, you go out and you're going to go run through the summer months against one of these uh, nitrous cars with unlimited. They don't lose anything in, in, in bad conditions like that. And an NA car is suffering. So we had some times where we really had to put our heads to things and try and try and just get through that event. I'd say, man, if we can just get through this event, go to the semis or the finals uh, and, and really pick up the pace in the, in the cooler months, you know, we'll, we'll be doing something. So it was, it was tough, man. It was tough. It was a game of chess. Um, but I had a ton of fun in that class. We raced with a lot of good people, a lot, a lot of tough competitors. I uh, really set the stage for, for where I am at now
0: you know i want to get your thoughts on this real quick too is you know speaking of you know look at the rules and maximizing what do you think of that i've his name escapes me the guy that set the record in the class this weekend with in 632 with a small block that thing sounds gnarly
1: yeah jim polkoski he went out he looked at the rules kind of like we did at at one point he looked at the rules and said what is my best chance to win what is my best chance to come out there and uh run fast and and i always saw that that small block combo was sitting there nobody really went and ran it and tried to elevate it keep in mind when my naturally aspirated combo came out it was 2200 pounds right now to go run the combo i was in i was 2,450. so um they they've definitely it's it's the beginning stages of a class so you're gonna find some some rules in there that you can kind of pick apart the single system deal kind of is what it is it's a limited horsepower um, you know, limited combination. The NA deal is limited as well. But when you have an unlimited nitrous small block combination that can run at such a lightweight, he said, "Hell, we we built us a, a good combo. We can go out and and run fast." And he came out put a 412 on the board, crushed my records to pieces um, because we had held the record in that class with a 416, and uh, he went out there and showed them. Look. 's got a, he's got another problem to deal with now he's got the tech department to deal with next I dealt with them for for a couple of years so I know what he's what's coming
0: Lonnie Grimm is a nice man but you do not want to be on the receiving end of one of his inspections because he goes long hard and deep
1: yeah yeah he uh <laughs> he did it to us quite a few times I'm I'm uh, well aware of what's coming. <laughs>
0: yeah. you, you know it, it's funny. I was just out spent a week with Lonnie as part of the horsepower wars deal, and I like just like just sparked it there because I saw what he did to some of those guys as well. But again, it it shows that looking at that rule book, sometimes a lot of people don't realize that there's there's a lot of gray area you can navigate. And it's the same thing with, like, the Bruder Brothers did in an X275 and what people have done in other classes is they they find that little niche and they expose it to the point where the rules makers, like, they, they let out a, a heavy sigh because they know what they got to do and it's usually not fun for them. Yeah,
1: and, and it's not taking anything away from what Jim did. You know, I, you know he went out and he, he built a great engine. And Ron Hutter is a, a very good engine builder. He's got fault stuff on it. He's got a great car from Rick Jones. And he's got a good liberty for six feet so a five speed. So if you look at the combination, he went out and he did it right, and they tested and they put the time and the effort in. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to go out there. Ten other guys can go build that combination tomorrow and go four twenty-five or to four thirty-five. Uh, but he he did it right. You have to give him credit for that. Um, but again, it, if that combo is able to go four twelve as quick as it did, something does have to be addressed because I'll tell you right now, there's a nitrous cars you know they should be in the low low 420 range out there um and you know as far as the 632 stuff and na combo cars if they went mid-20s in those conditions they'd be really hauling ass so uh you do have to have relative parity i know you're not going to always have 100 percent parity and look if you look at a class like pro stock where there is full parity because all the rules are the same you're still going to have the cream rise to the top right so uh, you, you definitely there's definitely always going to be a variance. You can't have everyone running the same ET. It's just not how it works in heads up racing, but there has to be relative parity and uh, I think he exposed a little bit but you know they'll, they'll, they'll get a ha- handle on it.
0: Yeah, and I think that that drives home the point about one of the cool things about drag racing is that the the, the rules are constantly in a lot of classes changing because people you know it's not always the biggest wallet, wallet that's going to win. It certainly helps. But having that ability to, to, to really work on your program in combination, it leads to these these performances where it, it comes out of left field almost, and then you got to really reevaluate it because then you realize, all right, if this guy worked that hard and got this figured out and ran this now, what's going to happen a month from now when they get more data or you know, someone else gets a hold of this combo and starts grinding on it? It, it can flip the script on the, the entire class.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. You know they doesn't. I don't know exactly how many runs they have on the car, uh, but they made big strides quick. And unless you're unless you're digging into the data, uh, and when I'm gonna be honest with you, man, when, when I was going fast naturally aspirated, I invited the tech department because I knew I was gonna get it. You know, at some point I knew I was gonna get the weight. I told them I I, I walked up to Lonnie in the in the staging lanes. You could ask him. I said before you put any weight on me, please come to my trailer. Please look at my data. I will show you everything, and I'll show you why we're going fast and that, and that this combo doesn't have an ability to go much faster than what I'm going right now. So I want you to be aware of that because, I, I, you know, you don't know from the outside looking at the scoreboard how much more does a car have left, right? We all don't know right now. Does Jim's car, can Jim's car go 408 tomorrow? I don't know. Did he absolutely drain it with his 412? Maybe. So uh, it's hard to tell unless you're involved in the program of, of, of what the potential is. Um. So you can just do the best you can. It's a difficult uh, game.
0: Well, yeah. And the answer is not always throwing weight at a combination either, because then you get into a point of there's potential safety issues. I mean, look at the you know the the copos, the Cobra Jets, and the drag packs. At you know the factory showdown cars. You know that the NHRA through just decide, oh, we're just going to throw weight at people. Well, the SFI Foundation is going to start looking, and going, uh uh-uh, oh, you can't be doing that. You know, it, weight is not always the answer to find parity
1: yeah i'm in agreement with you there i don't think weight is the answer for this either i think what you have is you have a, a a class where there's a lot of limited power combinations naturally aspirated is limited to what they can make um a a one system deal is limited to what they can make and they have a jet limit which limits what they can spray so again that's a horsepower limited deal when you have an unlimited combo it, you're kind of you're kind of dealing with a tough subject because um, all you can do with that unlimited combo is put weight on it. And I think they're better off going out and limiting all of the combos in the class and playing with power rather than just sticking weight on guys who go fast.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, again, weight doesn't really – there's ways around weight. Limiting right. stuff, you can you can do a lot more – charity work limiting stuff versus just throwing weight because then it's like all right well they're going to just throw weight on us let's let's throw the beans to it a little bit more and we can play with it here and there and boom all of a sudden you're right. back in the same boat but now with a heavier car
1: yeah i'm with you i agree 100 so it'll be interesting to see what they do um i'm just glad i moved on to a class where everything's uh, equal everyone has the same opportunity and i don't have to worry about that
0: yeah you know you were always kind of being, I guess, groomed for lack of better terms to, to jump in and, you know, grab the sticks in the, uh, in the pro stock car, but it kind of happened a little bit of quicker than you anticipated, didn't it?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the game plan, I mean, every year, I, I know for the last probably three years, I kept bugging my dad, you know, when are you going to jump out of the seat and let me, and let me in. And, you know, he, he still to this day wants to drive and it is his car. So if he wants to drive, he can, but, um, you know, he, he eventually gave it up uh, for me. He loves it. He loves driving. He loves doing everything, uh, working on the car and the whole nine. But he turned to me last year. We got we got a, I got the Strut Masters deal. Um, they came on board with us to run a couple NHRA races originally in uh, 2019. And I was going to run those races and he was going to run the PDRA races. We knew at some point I'd be in the car full time. Uh, but that was the deal for that year it was going to be his last year and uh he won the first race and it was great you know he won the first race and i won it in 632 so we accomplished something major together that we were always hoping to do while we were able to run two cars um from there uh, from there we went to one more race and then the third stop was only about two weeks prior to the first nhra event that i was going to run so uh, we got to that race. He made a run in testing. I made a run in testing. Uh, and then the next day was the race. And he actually turned to me the next morning and said, you're going to drive the car this weekend. And I said, what are you talking about? This is your last season. And you, you can't sit out an, uh, an event. When you have a 6-8 race uh, series, you can't sit out one event and expect to go win a championship. And it was his last year. So I was a little bit taken back by that. But uh, he explained that, it was more important for me to get some laps and be comfortable um, in the car because at that point I only made two runs in the car and I was going to go run quarter mile two weeks from now uh, at Bristol at an NHRA event. So he felt it was more important for me to be ready and he was more comfortable with that than and, and me to get some more eighth mile laps at a PRA race prior to heading over there. Uh, it just shows you the type of father and uh, you know best friend that I have. So, it was a uh, pretty pretty special thing, uh, pretty difficult for him to do. I'm sure. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't re- regret it.
0: <laughs> so you know, kind of b- between the two cars, what's the major difference going from you know a six thirty two car to a to a pro stock car? Because I would think that the pro stock car is going to be a lot more uh, a lot more responsive and almost, uh, for lack of better terms, twitchy in how it reacts.
1: Well, we we set that other car up pretty similar. Yeah, everything was similar. Um, what I would say is we had a, we had a fairly high revving, uh, naturally aspirated deal. We turned at 9,000 RPM or, our, you know, big motor stuff, 825 stuff doesn't go that high. Um, so it, it was, it was a fast accelerating car. We, we got it through the gears fast. So I was shifting actually quicker in the 632 car because that's just how we ran that program. Um, but as far as driving the car and everything like that, um, these Mount cars, they just keep pulling. You know, they—they they keep you planted in the seat. Uh, when you're, you know, start getting to fourth, fifth gear at the six thirty-two car, it, you just don't have the same type of G's that you would do with the Mount Motorcar. Uh, not to mention that the Mount Motorcar is just notorious for hanging the front end uh, for a, for a short inch wheelbase car, one hundred five inch cars like that. They hang in the front end uh, for you know one hundred fifty. 200 feet whatever it is and just just being a car that you you have to you have to be ahead of those race cars man you can't you can't get behind one of these cars um you have to because you're shifting them and you're you're trying to corral them at the same time it's it's easy to make a run on in a car that's straight down the groove and hit your shift points but it separates the the men from the boys or the women from the girls i guess you could say when you have a car that's leave the start lines got the front end up going left and you still got to get it through the gears on time and keep it in the groove um it that's that's where it separates them
0: yeah it's it's a little different with with one of these mountain motor cars i'm sure versus you know your your typical small block nhra car because like you said there's there's a lot more cubic inches there and you know going from eighth to quarter mile you probably really noticed the uh the difference in that thing just keep wanting to pull and pull and pull
1: yeah, you know things start going by you pretty fast um, once you get down there at 225 miles an hour. They're they're still pulling. They don't they don't give up uh, until that 1320 mark when you throw the shoots there. They're pulling. It's an exciting ride, that's for sure. I and mean, you know what? It's the only time during the ride you kind of just get to hang out because uh, when we're eighth mile racing, we're we're going through the gears up until four seconds into the run, which is about. The finish line so when we go quarter mile racing we stick it in high and we get to hang out for about two seconds till we throw the chutes so i guess it's time to enjoy your work at that point you know
0: yeah and for mere mortals by hang out you know that would probably just mean you know for most of us just trying to make sure the car stays right side <laughs> down <laughs> yeah that too. Cause th- that's it because that's the the thing with quarter mile racing versus eighth mile racing is that back half the track is when things can get weird in a hurry if you're not careful
1: yeah, you know, especially on an NHRA racetrack, where you know, I'm not gonna lie, PDRA they, they they prep that track from wall to center line to wall. So there's a there's a you walk at four, five hundred, six hundred feet at a at a PDRA race, you walk on it physically. You're gonna see there's a ton of traction out there. You you can do some stuff that you can't get away with at an NHRA event. Um, so you'll see you've seen you've seen cars. You've seen, you know, pro-stock cars and pro-mod cars with minimal downforce. You've seen them go out there and skate around out there. They, you, they really can't drive them like you can at a PDRA race, it, just in regards to the prep and some things that they do. Uh, so when you're, when you're picking up speed, we still accelerate these cars in those two seconds. We still accelerate them 45, you know, 50 miles an hour in the back half. How much is in, in regards to how much they're picking up from the eighth to the quarter? So you're you're accelerating 50 miles an hour, going 225 miles an hour, uh, and and it, you know we don't have a ton of downforce, so uh, you definitely want to make sure by the time you get to the eighth, you are in the middle of the groove and you are not fighting it anymore because that's that's where you really uh, get in trouble.
0: Oh yeah, that's. Anybody that's made a, a pass where things have gotten out of hand will def- can definitely attest to that, that uh, once, once you hit critical speed, it's not the time that you need to decide to start trying to uh, show off your driving skills, because it's not going to end well, ever. Yeah, 100%. You know, what, what's something that you think might surprise some of our listeners about these, you know, big cubic inch pro stock cars that, you know, isn't necessarily common knowledge as far as maybe the engine transmission, the setup on them? You know, they're, they're definitely a, an interesting car
1: yeah you know a, a lot of things that i'm i guess i'm a little surprised about it. i hear a lot of them in the announcing when we head over to the nhra they keep saying you know that they have to manhandle these cars which is true it's all 100 true it is different than the the 500 inch dealer in that regard um but one thing they keep saying is they're they're, they're stressing the 500 inch the accuracy of of your shift points and things over there you know these these 800 inch cars you still have to be accurate you you can't you can't be off you can't be off in, in regards to shifting uh, they still see it it's it's the difference between uh, a couple of hundreds and they, these are tight fields so you know you, you you need to be well in that department as well you when when they say you got to be within you know 20 30 50 rpm no you don't but with cars that are accelerating as fast as ours 100 rpm is 0.05 of a second something like that you know so you you a driver sees time, a driver doesn't see RPM, right? So if you pull your arm back on that on that shift lever, 0.1 seconds late, you might be 150, 180 RPM late, or 180, 200 RPM early. And 200 RPM early is, is an issue. So you need to be a machine in there. And uh, they're not easy cars to drive, but we're still fully driving them. That's what I love about this class. We're in there, nothing is automated. You have to go in there, you have to bring the revs up, drag it with a clutch pedal into the beams. Got to let the clutch out. You got to be on time. You got to keep it in the groove and shift all your gears, pull the parachutes yourself. So uh, we're still driving these things.
0: And I think that's what makes NA racing so gnarly That is, it's almost lost in the to a lot of people, I think, these days, you know, NA heads up racing is just how everything has to be so tight and locked together and you have to be so precise because you don't have that, Ability to overcome bad driving or a bad call via horsepower, you know, it is what it is. You got to make it work and you got to be, you know, deadly accurate or you're going home.
1: Right. You know, something that's pretty, pretty interesting. I was telling uh, West Buck in an interview this weekend uh, while we were at the racetrack. I'm involved in the tuning of the car and, and I obviously drive the car as well. And so I understand and the more runs I make, I feel it in the car. I understand what's happening during a run. I understand um, kind of the setup that we have in the car, and and what's what's going on. So I was in one of the runs this weekend. Actually, most of the weekend, and it was it was light on clutch, which means we didn't have enough clutch, uh, you know, on 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 the pressure plate. When it does that, it's gonna the the slip between the clutch and the engine is gonna be more than what you're looking for because you want to lock it up. Lock the clutch up at a certain RPM. Now, when you're you're light on clutch, it's going to lock up later. But what happens is that allows the engine to rev and turn the shift light on early. So long story short, I put it in second and I felt it was light. So that means we're flipping the clutch, flipping the clutch. You're not going to go fast like that. So I allowed, we we shift our engine about 8,200 RPM. I waited as long as I could to try and let the motor accelerate. Because the higher you accelerate, the more it's going to apply clutch. So... It was something I felt in the car, um, which is a really cool aspect about these things. Is you as a driver can can affect the performance of the car. It's not just reaction time. So I was in there and I was trying to let it rev up and try and get some more clutch in it to to make a, a you know a better run. And uh, fortunately, it worked out for that. <laughs>
0: Well, and I think that speaks volumes again to, as a driver, how how connected you have to be to these cars versus a turbo or blower car, because it's more than just with a turbo or blower car, feeling it maybe slip or doing something weird, and you just, you're just you trying to make sure it doesn't blow up or kill you or anything crazy. With these cars, like I mean, you hit the nail on the head, being able to affect the performance and kind of overcome those kind of issues is just not something everybody can do.
1: Yeah, and that's what I really, I think, you, you asked a question of what is different about your class, and I think that's a good example of what's different. Uh, you don't see that in many classes right now. Cars going that fast, where the driver still has such an impact, and they're so involved in in in, in the car. You'll see, um, you know, in, in other classes, I'm not taking away any of the driving in a my car. I don't want anyone to think that, but at the at the end of the day, in, in all your ProMod classes right now, in, in NHRA 2, you know, letting go of a trans brake button, two hands on a wheel, and making sure it stays between the two cones, uh, you know, all the way to the quarter mile. So there's there's that aspect of it rather than where, what we're doing and shifting these cars and, and trying to be as accurate and, as possible. So uh, it's just a little bit of a difference that way.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's definitely, it's a lot more precision in an NA, you know, pro stock setting versus, you know, like you said, it, it's a different skill set to drive, you know, a pro mod or something along those lines. And I've talked to a lot of racers that, you know, you ask them, what, what would you not want to drive? They'll say pro mod, terrified of them, just because <laughs> they are like... They're there's nasty. A, there's a reason why you got to have two hands on that wheel is because that thing is trying to do everything it can to not go straight. Right. They're nasty. And again, it, again, it, to me, it's, it's so like... It's like blaring heavy metal versus like a, a very nice classical music of a pro right. stock car where it's more precise and it's like almost like the gulf of drag racing where it's it's a completely different animal that you have to put in its own category versus other door car racing.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, comparison.
0: And, and like you said, not to take anything away from it, I'm a fan of both classes and it just, for me like the the science behind what you know Mountain Motor Pro stock and NHRA Pro stock does to to get these cars to work and when you really start digging into everything you know you know when you know the, the modifying of tires that people were doing, why they did it, you know changing gear ratios, all that stuff changes how the you tune these cars because like you said you don't have that extra power to rely on you only got what you got and you got to figure out how to make it work.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%, and uh, that's one aspect of drag racing that I completely love. You know, I, I love driving these cars, but well, everything that goes in behind it, I'm, I'm driving the car for four seconds or six seconds, but there's hours and hours and days and weeks of work that goes in to make those four-second runs, and the whole thing, the whole thing is, is, is part of the fun.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I, I love dirt track racing and, you know, part of the cool thing about being able to watch, you know, what we have on Flow Racing now with that dirt track racing and, and seeing the drag racing and seeing that drastic difference, you know, in a 30-lap feature, you can make a mistake and you've got time to make it up. Drag racing, you don't have that option. You have four seconds to get it right or it's time to bust out the beers and the barbecue.
1: A hundred percent and everything goes into that one moment and I I love that. I love the pressure. Um, you know, someone asked me, I was getting interviewed in the beginning of the year. And um, I think I got the job done on the starting line. It was a really difficult around. And so, you know, I said, look, you have to rise up and pressure and you have one moment to do it. And that's it. You have a matter of seconds. You got to let the clutch out on time and you have to hit, hit your gears. And you're talking about doing it now and there's no there's no if ands or buts you screw up one thing you're done so um it's it's a lot of work that goes into a little bit of time and you have to get it right and it, there's something about that added pressure that uh really exciting
0: would you agree with the statement that in drag racing you know outside of the machine that the mental side of the game is probably even more important
1: yeah yeah it really is you, you can see it you can see guys when they get confident. You can see guys when they're struggling. Um, it could be tuners. It could be drivers. You know, it's confidence. Momentum is a, is a huge thing in in, in it. Uh, and I'm not going to lie to you. I I play starting line games with guys who I feel that I need to in order to get an advantage on. Uh, and and starting line games are just mental. It's just an it's just a mental aspect of the game. Um, you know, some guys will say something to somebody. Not nothing disrespectful, but they might make a comment just to just to kind of throw them off before a run. It's a very mental aspect of it. You know, somebody might be out there and they might take their time and just do a long burnout and back up slow just to get you mentally uh, out of of sorts. Because you have to be at the end of the day when you're starting to go into the stage beam, you have to be ready. And if you're thinking about anything else, you're not going to perform at the top.
0: Oh, the the guy that I used to crew for, for X-275, Ray Litz was a masterful trash talker. Didn't like, even when he wasn't meaning to talk trash, he found a way to do it. And he was not the person that you would want to try to out trash talk because he was willing to just, you know, roll with the punches and have fun, could not get in that guy's head. Didn't matter what the other lane was doing as a team and as a driver. We always knew what we had a jo- you know we had a job that you can have a thirteen ring surf circus going on in the other lane. <laughs> Don't care over here. You know we're gonna right. do we're gonna do what we got to do. Put the car in the beams. We're ready to go. Well, we're ready to go. If you're not part of that party, that's fine on you. Right. And yeah. Well, yeah, and you you'll get those guys that really try to play games and you know try to burn people down and you know to some people that affects them. And as long as it's, you know, not really hurting the car, like even I've had people try to double bulb me in a bracket car and do everything else. I'm like, all right, that's cool. You know, we're going to sit here and wait till I'm ready at this point.
1: Yeah. I try and grew myself as a driver to be able to do everything. You know, I'll go through times where I'm going to stage first. Every run, I'll go through times where I'm going to stage last every run. I'll switch it up. Uh, I'll rush people. I'll be slow. So, I, I, you, you have to keep yourself groomed to be able to handle anything because games always work only really work if a you're mentally getting to somebody and, and you're you're bothering them that way or if somebody has a weakness because if if you're well-rounded and you don't have a weakness and and right now i hey i'm not saying i have a weakness driving the car but I don't feel that I necessarily have a weakness on the starting line, whether if I stage first stage last, if the other guy rushes, double bulbs me, I don't feel that there's an area that I'm necessarily better in than others. So what I, what my goal is to be as well-rounded. So somebody else's games don't affect me. I don't necessarily go out and play a game every run. If I think that, I have a, a performance advantage on you and I just need to do my job. I'm just going to go up there and stage with you most likely. But when it's time that I need to, to get those two, three, four hundreds on a start line, I'm going to give it everything I have. And if I think you have a weakness or I want to try and throw you, you know, for a little bit of a curveball, I'm going to do what I have to do. I, I, I want to be friends with everyone, but we're there to win
0: first. Yeah. You know, no, you have no friends when two bulbs are lit. That's just yep. the name of the game. Yep. And, you know, I've, I've seen before where people have been loud and boisterous and, you know, they've talked trash and they're going to, you know, do this and do that. And there's an example at a local race. I saw a guy that, you know, just, he was trying to get in this dude's head. It was funny to kind of watch from, you know, a couple cars back in the lanes watching all this go on. And I knew the guy that he was trying to, to, to get in his head to just, it wasn't working. And his final little ploy was that he was going to double-bulb this guy. That was like how he was going to get into his head. Didn't end well for him. Other <laughs> dude was like, all right, cool. Sat there, double-bulbed him, rolled him when he was ready. I think he counted to six and a half before he popped that car into the final beam, and guess who red-lit? Wasn't the other dude.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, that's it's. It could be a double-edged sword. Uh, a quick story from this past weekend is John Cavo was running Chris Powers' first round. Chris was the number two qualifier and John was not. Um, So John was, John is a very accomplished racer and he has a a great team and he's past champion, but he's going through a time where they're not running to their full potential. So he decided, Hey, I need to do something to try and get that advantage. Just like we're talking about. And he went out there first round, Chris put one light on and he decided he was going to double bowl Chris. So he rolled into both bing, bing. And that's not as easy with, with a, with a pro stock car as it is with, Some sort of automatic bracket car or something else. So John rolled in. He did a nice job. He got into both lights, but he guess he was so hyped up, he put it right on the on on the two step, right on the limiter. And Chris was only in one bulb still. So by the time Chris staged, John was ready. Chris staged and John let the clutch out before the tree was activated, and it ended up biting him. So uh, you could try the game. Sometimes they'll screw yourself up. Sometimes they'll screw the other guy up. Sometimes. It'll have no effect, but it's an interesting thing to watch. It's something that I I, I kind of would like the announcers to get more involved in, kind of talk about what's going on so people really understand what's happening on the starting line because there's a lot of times that uh, staging is just a, a big part of, of of the race, you know, and uh, in Mountain Motor Pro Stock especially.
0: You know, I, well, the greatest staging battle I've ever seen happen at the worst time possible It was when Haley James at the World Cup was running that dude in that all wheel drive Civic up against the curfew. And I talked with Haley afterwards about it. And she told the guy, you know, kind of what was going to happen. You know, she thought that they were going to be courteous. Old dude decided that he was, you know, just going to try to get in her head and do what he wanted to do. And anybody that has ever met Haley James knows that is the wrong answer on what you're going to do because she is going to do how she wants to do it, go through her routine. And if you try to, you know, play with her, she's going to tell you to go F yourself in a million different ways. And she sat there and sat there and he sat there. And Jason Miller DQ'd him. And, I mean, she was heated. But at the end, you know, she stuck by her guns.
1: That says something. That's that's, that's tough, man. That says
0: something. Oh, yeah. I'm just like – From a media perspective, watching all that go down, the tension in the air was just ridiculous because that was the race that everybody wanted to see at the end of the weekend. And, you know, we are robbed of seeing that. But at the same time, it just shows that, you know, when you've got your routine and if you're not going to play games, you're going to do what you got to do and screw everybody else. Yeah. Now, you kind of hit on something earlier. You know, we talked about John and whatnot, is that the the. PDRAs Mountain Motor Pro Stock class has it doesn't have drivers; it has a cast of characters. Talk about that for a minute.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, it, it's so, look. Everyone is very invested in their program. There's been a lot of people that have been doing this for a long time. There's some newer people. There's people that have been doing it somewhere in the middle, uh, and and everyone has a personality. Uh, Some more than others. I think that I'm a pretty animated guy. Uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and you kind of know how I'm feeling. But everyone has their opinions, and and in pro stock, they usually share them. Um, It it, it builds for, you know, I wish everyone, fan-wise, knew everything that happens behind the scenes on every run because there's always so much more to it than what's actually happening on the racetrack. Uh, But 100%, you know, that's... That's a reason right there that street outlaws and, and those things took off the way they took off because before they get to the starting line, everyone's excited because of the backstories and there are the same type of backstories in, in mountain motor pro stock. Uh, Cause we have the characters, we have the drivers. Um, but again, it's not highlighted as well because you don't have a TV show or something of that nature. That's spending, you know, three quarters of of the time going over and talking to this guy and talking to this guy and watching this guy have a problem with his car. And then they're going to get up to the starting line and this guy's going to then screw with this guy while they're, uh, while they're staging or something of that nature. So you miss a little bit of the buildup while just by watching it in some other areas um, or just watching the performance on the racetrack. Uh, But there's a ton of it, man.
0: Oh, I remember I was at a PDRA race and here, here's how my walk down pit road in the pro stock area went. Went to talk to Elijah Morton for super nice laid back, you know, just really nice guy. Went to see John Monte Cavo intensity level picks up a little bit. <laughs> then I go to your pit and intensity level picks up even more because then John comes over and starts talking a little bit of trash. And it's like, <laughs> pure, it, it went from a simple interview to pure chaos and like, seconds and it was fun chaos it wasn't like there wasn't any tension it was like these guys are out here racing hard with multi-million dollar programs and just having fun and that's like you said that's the kind of thing that it's so hard to get that across to fans unless you had like an all-access show all the time
1: yeah i mean that's that's the one thing that's missing from absolutely exploding the coverage um, but again, it's so difficult to put that all together, capture it all in all of the pits. It's so hard to have cameras in every pit to put that editing together and to show everyone. You know, it's, we don't need a script. There's no script that, that's going to be better than what actually ha- happens out there, you know. Uh, and everyone is extremely passionate because, look, at the end of the day, everyone is going to these races and racing, racing, mountain motor pro stock or, or extreme pro stock because they love it and they're passionate about it and they want to win, and and that's why they're doing it. So when you have that and you're you're doing it for the right reasons, it just it, it it builds your fire that much that
0: much more. Big problem with trying to have a drag racing based TV show is that people in other countries will watch it and think bleep is an English word, just <laughs> because of. <laughs> And it's not out of disrespect. It's just the colorful language and phrases that racers use. And it's funny when, you know, I, when I bring my wife to the race, sometimes I have to like, I have to introduce her to people with warnings. And it's not because they're bad people. It's just, I have to make sure that she's aware of that. They are very animated and interesting. And don't be shocked when they say something absolutely crazy and you're going to have a lot of fun. And that right. that's that's the cool thing that I think that a lot of fans sometimes might miss out if they don't go to the pits at a drag race is just the amazing collection of people that come to do this sport.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of really good people and if it wasn't for the people and the friends that you meet out there it would be it, it you know I, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it but it's a huge part of why you you enjoy it so much because at the end of the day we're all going out there for enjoyment. No, we're not going out there and 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 making money and uh, you know, you know it's not our profession. Everyone who's out there doing what we are doing, we're going out there because that's what we want to do when we're not working. And that's what we want to do with our team, which in my case is, my dad uh, and and a couple guys that are that are very good friends of ours, and we like doing it uh, competing against these other guys. we We are friends with with most of these people most of these these teams but it doesn't mean we're competing any less because we're not
0: and i think that it's something that i've been saying for a while other people have said it and there's two sides to this argument is that you know you definitely see it in nascar and you see it in nhra to a point that the racers personalities have been sanitized and they're not as they can't When you get to know someone and then you see them on TV, you're like, "That's really not how they are." But the other side to that is, is that they have to calm things down because of the sponsorship money. You can't like the way that like certain levels of drag racing have evolved is that you have to be corporate to keep that money in. And I think that's what makes some forms of like outlaw radio racing, no prep and no time racing, interesting because you know these guys are bought and paid for with their own money. And they're going to say whatever they want. Well, because they can.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, it's, it's, it's very true. It's why it gives it a little bit more flavor. Um, a deal like I have, I do have a sponsor, luckily strutmasters.com. I mean, the greatest sponsor in drag racing, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I have that sponsor and he allows me to be myself. You know, I, I, I am at the end of the day, someone who's always going to respect the person next to me because I understand what it takes. I understand How much work and time and effort they put into it so i have the utmost respect for anybody who's out there competing and trying to do this at the end of the day though i am animated you know that and uh i am somebody who is competitive i'm I'm, i i pride myself on being the biggest competitor at the racetrack you might you might be as competitive as me but you are not more competitive than i so um again i i wear my heart on my sleeve i i i me and my team, my dad, we, we speak our minds when we feel we have to. Uh, and that's how we race. And, uh, I, I have a, a great sponsor who allows me to do so.
0: Yeah. And you know, it, it's those personalities and having that ability. And I grew up in the era of, you know, when John Force used to be on fire and upside down every week and, you know, Warren Johnson was being grumpy, whether he won or lost. <laughs> and, you know, you got to know those personalities and the the ones that stick out to me, I think, the most are were in the funny car class because you had people like John Force, Whit Baysmore, Al Hoffman. You have forces the animated White Knight hero, and Whit Baysmore was a person that everybody loved to hate because of you know how rough he was around the edges, and you know Al Hoffman was the grizzled veteran. Then you had like McCullough, Perdome, and Bernstein. You had these guys that just had that built-in personality. I think it was that sweet spot, right, when you had the corporate money with all these teams, but they still had that ability to be a little bit unsanitized. And I think, you know, someone like Force is still struggling. Like, there's every so often you see him revert back to his old state where he just wigs out, which is awesome. But then you get (laughs) someone like Stevie Fast, who is like that new – breed of people that can have the edge and still maintain
1: walk that line he
0: walks God he walks that line tight you, I can only imagine that in the NHRA and the Fox control room they're just like what's he going to do like they're, <laughs> they, they've they got that dump button ready and the sponsors like everybody's on edge because they don't know what he's going to say and I think that's the happy medium we need you know we can't have you know knockdown, drag out fights at the top end but then we can't have the constant blandness
1: right we at the end of the day the sponsors aren't even going to be there if the fans aren't in the stands or watching um, watching the races happen so it, what entertains the fans is the people being real so there does have to be and again you have to you have to be you have to be respectful and you have to be mindful of other people and uh, that people are different and, and 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 there's a lot of different aspects to it so you you, you have to watch what you're saying to a degree but you want you want to see someone's true self
0: you know, we caught hell on drag scene because when Cameron, Ferreira, and, you know, Torrance had their little dust up, we loved it. Like, Wolf and I were both like, that's what this sport needs because what you saw when Cameron rolled up through the state, you know, in front of the crowd, they cheered. When Torrance rolled up, they booed. People were divided and they were into it. And to me, you know, do – is it good to uh to to you know promote violence absolutely not but it's good to promote that kind of rivalry because then you see it's like when i go you go to a dirt track race for late models and you know you hear someone like bloomquist announce Scott Bloomquist come out people either love to cheer for him or they boo him and flip him off. And he leans into that so hard. And then you have the crowd favorite, you know, it's like professional wrestling. You have the baby face that people love and having that in drag racing just makes the entire sport more interesting.
1: Everyone wants someone to root for. That's why they buy in. That's why they'll go to all the races or watch all the races. So it's just like having a team. If you, you know, if you're, if you're a Yankees fan, um, and and you're gonna go and watch a lot more Yankee games, uh, than if if you just like watching baseball in general. So
0: well, it's like you know in, in the PDRA with what you know I'll use the Pro Nitrous class as an example why I think the PDRA, they do such a good job and it's to me I don't that organization really really deserves more credit because of the product it puts out there because every class has. Good rivals, great racing. You know, in Pro Nitrous, you've got Jay Cox, and then you've got someone like Tommy Franklin. Polar opposites, but it's good racing. When you when you get them on camera, it's good stuff. Pro Boost, yeah. the same thing. You have, you know, your less animated, more animated people. It just it, It's the overall product that I think that it doesn't take away from, you know, something like the NHRA Nitro cars, whole different deal. But the PDRA gives fans a whole different view of the sport and a lot more variety to look at.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you, hundred percent.
0: So you know, when it comes down to race day, who's the one person that when you see them on the ladder, you're like, oh, that's the person I want to drag around a little bit.
1: Uh <laughs> well, I yelled pretty loud after I uh, I beat Chris Powers on a whole shot this weekend. I went around the corner, and I think West Bucks got some of that on video. Uh, I was yelling some uh, words, you who, probably a little bit of who's your daddy um i think came out uh so (laughs) i have a lot of fun when when i'm able to get the better chris because uh chris is one of those guys who goes online and he speaks his mind also so uh, right now i i kind of i kind of enjoy beating him the most um he went and he's got a good program together and he's a competitive guy as well he's he feels really strongly about his program, so he said, did a lot of talking over the winter, um, and uh, we've been backing it up so far.
0: You know, is there any other racers that you, when you see them, that you know, when you see the ladder, you see that you know, you've got the next round that you're like, all right, this is absolutely not a cupcake. We got to make sure that we're uh, we're locked and loaded, or you know, this person's going to you know help help strap us in the trailer.
1: Well, right now, I was it's it's all you have a lot of guys that'll go through um, high streaks, low streaks, things like that. You've got like John Monte Carlo who has been doing this a long time that you'll never going to give him any slack because he's just been doing it a long time. You know, they, they, they have what it takes, but right now, if you're asking me right now, it, you have Jr. Carr who is making run after run after run and being, uh, you know, if not the number one car of the session, uh, number two. And if you really screwed up, maybe he's number three of the session. So, you know he's not going to go out there and shake the tires and give you a run beyond your game. Um, he he, right now is probably the toughest car uh, to to get around.
0: Is that the, the three second zone? still has been broken in competition yet, has it?
1: No, it will this year.
0: What would it mean to you to 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 click like to see that light the board up? You know what would that what would be the first thing that pops in your mind? You know as you hurl down the track at the back half
1: for me to do it. Oh man, we want to do it so bad. Uh, we set a bunch of goals this year, right now, we're racing, trying to go rounds, trying to put wind lights up on the board. Um, but we have two races left and those are going to be the two. I don't quite know that we'll have the conditions at Galat, but we could. Um, I do know that there's a really good chance we're going to have the conditions in Virginia. Um, I think the performance has been elevated this year in in the summer months of these cars. I feel like we are quicker. We're cor- Our runs are correcting quicker than they have in the past. Us, JR, Chris Powers, there's some guys that can really go out and do it. Um, Elijah Morton's running well. I think that, you know, if John DeFlorian comes out, he's another really fast car right now. So I think that it's definitely going to get done Um this this Virginia race I would say look for it uh I'm really hopeful it could be us I said to my dad in the beginning of the year would you rather go out and we, us win a championship this year or get the three-second barrier and I didn't say Do you want to win a race or get the three-second barrier I said the championship and uh he said I think I'd rather the three-second barrier um because you know what in 10 years from now they probably won't if you say hey who won the 2020 you know Extreme Pro Stock championship? Or who won the you know who was the first in the threes? They'll probably remember who was the first in the threes or was first.
0: Yeah, and what you rattled off there, I think, kind of really outlines again the 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 competitiveness of that class because when when the time comes, the conditions are right, it's going to be like a game of for lack of better term, home run derby. You know, it's going to be whoever made it to the staging lanes first could be the one to do it but then necessarily they might not even be the quickest. They might be the first, but then the right. you know, two or three people behind them might just keep smacking that record around.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, listen, right now that the way the orders work out, it goes based off of how fast you were in the run prior. So the first session goes off of points, but it probably wouldn't get done in the first session unless it's really cool out. I would assume it gets done in the night session. and If that's the case, I'll lay up in the first session to go out first. In the other session if i think that's what it's going to take you know i'll go out there i'll i'll lift the clutch out and go one two gears and get on the brakes if 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 it's a case where you know we're in good shape in the championship hunt already again that's going to ideally come first um i do have to make sure that we're racing smart but if it's a case where we can just go out there and play home run ball i'll lay up in the first session in order to be first out if i really think it's going to happen
0: and that right there just tells the tale of how big of a deal you know th- this is it's one of the you know and it's one of the last big barriers in you know door car racing at this point
1: yeah yeah 3 seconds and uh 619 will, will, will be a barrier that gets broken as well in the quarter mile we are starting to go back to a little bit quarter mile racing with the NHRA um uh, right now you know NHRA dropped the schedule today for Uh, The rest of the year, we are slated to be in St. Louis at the beginning of October. I don't know what the weather is going to be like, but there is a chance because you have to go about 4.02 to go 4.03 to go 6.19. Um, And uh, it would be pretty cool to see a mapmotorcross.car go 6.19, 2.27, 2.28 um, out there.
0: Well, the thing about that time of the year is that if you get one of those cool kind of evenings and you get a night session – that'll be it right there because that track will have just that sweet amount of heat in it to be able to throw everything you got at it. And then the atmospheric conditions are there and it's pretty much, you know, turn it up to 11 and rip the knob off. Right.
1: Yeah. We're, we're excited for uh, the end of this year, just to, to go out there and kind of flex our muscles. We think we have a good, good amount of horsepower right now. Our engines over at uh, Kazi racing engines right now down in Georgia, they're, they're massaging it up a little bit. So, Uh, hopefully it comes back to us. We make some good runs toward the end of this year. And, uh, you know, I want want to go out and win a championship, obviously, but um, I want to light the scoreboard up too.
0: Um, If I can't make it to the PDRA finals, you'll be damn sure I'll be watching that, you know, Paying very close attention to that on the live stream because that's going to be one of those things where you know i got the the most recent one was you know I got to watch Jeff Turk be the first one to break you know the seven second barrier in the factory showdown class, you know, seeing the record set at ducks' races and stuff like that. you always remember, and you know when people talk about it, you could say, well, either I was there or I remember watching it, and it's one of those things where it's just it it's really it's magical to watch those kind of when you know. The possibility is going to happen. It's magical to watch it actually unfold.
1: Yeah, you much rather be there or or watching it live than someone calling you up and say, "Hey, did you see it?" And you go back and watch it. It's not. It's not half as exciting. And you're, uh, I'd rather be the one to tell everybody what happened. Tell them to go back and look and see it live. So if everyone tunes in, I'm I'm pretty confident that we will give you guys a show.
0: Oh, it's it. it w- to me, that's going to set the stage for, And again, depending on how the championship blows out, you know, it shakes out. There's going to be so much going on at that race in the pro stock class that it's going to be something you want to tune into and watch for sure.
1: Yeah, without a doubt.
0: Because to me... You know, it, it's like, you know, with, with what Erica Enders did last year at the championship and pretty much, you know, ha- being put in that situation with Greg Anderson and, you know, chopping his head off the way she did. You know, you when you know everything's on the line like that, it just makes that race just – you're on pins and needles wanting to see what's going to happen.
1: That was one of the best things I've seen in drag racing in a while, and it was exciting, and that's what that's what really builds you up and makes you want
0: to watch. Tune in. Dude, that chick is a gangster. Straight she- up. <laughs> Just...
1: she is a top-notch driver you know she gets a lot of grief on line um from people she has her her supporters and she's got her haters and I'll tell you right now from someone who drives cars like this she does an excellent job it is her job but she does an excellent job of it you can't take that away from her
0: guarantee you you ask most of the guys in the NHRA who's the one person you would not want to line up against you know just off the record you know who's the one person you're like oh, this one's a toss-up. I'm guessing they'd say her just for the simple fact, like you said, it's not just the good equipment; it's that driving ability in that class. that just makes her so deadly.
1: Yeah, her her and Jaggy right now are probably, you know, ahead a over just in, in in regards to consistency of driving and and how consistently they are just quick make little mistakes they they do a very very good job
0: and now you got Troy Coughlin Jr. is driven I think everything but the space shuttle at this point (laughs) showing up and you know cracking skulls now too and I think he's going to find his home is going to be in a pro stalker after talking with him I think he's when you talk with him about it he he just you could tell he's like all right this is where I belong dragsters are cool but this is it
1: right yeah I found my home
0: well Johnny, our time here is coming to an end and I like to give my guests their opportunity to, uh, do their best John force impersonation and, you know, talk about their sponsors and, you know, where they can be found at. So, uh, I don't think I'll have any problem turning it over to you and let you talk about, uh, you know, where people can find you at about your racing and, you know, who helps you go racing.
1: Yeah. So come check us out on Facebook. You can follow us at Plucino racing or, uh, you can follow along on my, on my Facebook page, my personal page, Johnny Pluccino. Um, also I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, so, come find us there. Now, what I will say is we would not be racing without, without our supporters and without our, our companies that are, are partnered with us. So, um, if everyone, if you are a racing fan, just all you have to do to support a company is just click like on their page, right? All you have to do, a company that invests their marketing dollars into racing helps us race and helps provide you all uh, with something to do and something to watch, Um, And a lot of times free at that, you know, so uh, there's a lot of video, a lot of content online and and it's these people that back us, that support us that allow us to do that. So Strutmasters.com is single handedly the company that got us out to the racetrack this year Uh, without a company like that. Somebody who's backing racers all around right now in order to provide payment. It's, it's, Chip Lofton has built such a a tremendous company, put, put air right on our truck uh, and just, Really our major supporter. But other than that, uh, John Cozy Racing Engines and Ram Clutches have been behind us for a long time. And they are a, a huge part of why we are running as well as we are running. Along with, you know, precision racing suspension and NGK spark plugs. Hoosier Racing Top that help us out. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not simply naming these companies because, hey, they help us out. Let me say thank you. It, it's truly a full-on team deal. Um, Voss Engineering came out with some carbon wheelie bars for us that helped us out this year and kind of put us over the edge. Uh, so everyone really comes on board. We have we have Featherlight batteries as well. If you're ever looking for an awesome lightweight battery or something suited to what you have, hit them up on Facebook as well. So I appreciate everyone. I appreciate you having me on. Um, and uh, let's go racing. Let's set some records and win some championships.
0: Awesome, Johnny. Thanks for coming on this show, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you all. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks to Johnny for stopping by, and as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next week, folks.